You're listening to the CISO Secret Podcast, brought to you by Checkpoint. And now welcome your host, James Azar. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the CISO Secret Podcast. I am your host, James Azar. Thanks so much to our supporters over at Checkpoint for today's episode. We have a very, very special episode here, episode number five of our podcast in season one. Joining me is one of my really good friends, probably one of the most brilliant DevSecOps CISOs out there, Jonathan Hunt, CISO, VP of Information Security over at GitLab. Jonathan, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, James. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Hey, everyone. So brilliant. So on today's show, a few things, guys. So for everyone listening, when you get to earn a CPE, at some point during the podcast, I'll stop us. I'll give you the keyword. The link is below in the show notes. You click the link, you earn one CPE. All you got to do is invest about 40 minutes listening to us. But today's episode is filled with great stuff. If you're worried about DevSecOps, if you're worried about software supply chain and open source, Jonathan is the man with the plan when it comes to that kind of stuff. The guy's been doing it for years, and he's going to share so much about that here in just a moment. So make sure you listen through. Don't skip anything. Here we go. CISO Secrets by our friends over at Checkpoint. Jonathan, let's kind of kick it off. So give our audience kind of a 60-second overview of your background, how you kind of made it to the title of CISO. Honestly, it it probably started uh, almost a decade ago, uh, breaking into um, my my original roles in technology were very much system and network administration roles. Um, It took... Uh, it, it took about six to eight years in in um, working in like network engineering. Uh, did I have an opportunity to transition into more of a security engineering role um, at a company that really wasn't at the time thinking about security much, right? You know, regulations started coming down, PCI started becoming a big deal, um, and then this this opportunity opened up where they didn't want to hire for the role, so they were just looking internally for anyone to do security. So I raised my hand, I jumped into security, hit first, went all in, I started taking over um, not only what you would think of, of like InfoSec and governance and policies and, and that type of thing, but really kind of diving into security practices um, along along the lines of like, you know, uh, vulnerability scanning and, and securing instances and, and hardening servers um, and, and um, you know, securing code, um, all these things that you think of in terms of like AppSec, what you might think of in terms of like DevSecOps, uh, what you might think of like in terms of infrastructure security. So I really started trying to dive in. I was kind of new to it. I was trying to learn everything I could. Um, And from there, I just really grew. Like it grew on me. I loved it. I started studying it. I started doing it in my free time. I started doing, um, you know, maybe like some of the, 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 the white hat, gray hat uh, hacking uh, uh, or, um, security research, as you might call it, and, uh, and and then just, you know, managing programs and building teams and and then um, uh, company after company just continued to get better at it, better at what I was doing, uh, more knowledgeable. Uh, and here I am, um, you know, another another 10 years later, I've been the head of security for four separate companies uh, in four separate verticals. Uh, and uh, the two most recent ones, of course, being Envision, uh, which is a uh, 
uh, prototyping design and collaboration software company. Uh, and now GitLab, one of the leading DevSecOps uh, platforms in the world. Yeah, GitLab is a hot company right now. Um, I mean, you guys are growing by leaps and bounds. Um, having you there as the CISO also makes me comfortable as a CISO because <laughs> I know you. So I'm like, all right, uh, GitLab's good, right? Because, you know, it's funny. Like, I only bank with banks where I know the CISOs. Um, and I only do software, to, you know, open source and, 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 uh, you know, any sort of code management with GitLab because I know you. Uh, and I appreciate that, James. I can tell you that uh, it is it is true. We are we are growing by leaps and bounds. I know it's been a challenging uh, year for for a lot of people. It's been a challenging year for a lot of companies. Um, we've been fortunate uh, that GitLab has has continued to grow. Uh, we've continued to make a good impression on not only our community uh, and open source partners uh, and collaborators, but also with enterprise companies, Fortune 500s, Global 2000s. Um, we're, we're growing in every in every uh, sector of of our business, and um, we've continued to hire. Uh, over the last year, we've continued. We, we've we've increased uh, the size of the company has probably grown uh, between ten and twenty percent, um, even during uh, the pandemic. Uh, whereas previously, we were growing a lot faster. Of course, we were growing about one hundred percent year over year. Uh, but we're we're still hiring. We still have we're still hiring today. Um, we're still you know revenue is 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 growing at um, about you know. <laughs> 40 to 50% per year. So we're hitting all of our numbers. Things are looking really good. Um, and I tell you, we've made a lot of really great improvements over the last year. Um, and uh, I, it's going to be an exciting year. We have a lot, uh, a lot changing ahead of us. It is 2021, I think, is going to be a very uh, exciting technological year. Um, I feel like uh, 2020 kind of helped us all start to build stuff that, you know, uh, now we're seeing more and more companies, by the way, as things start to loosen up, not bring employees back to the office, which is also going to be very interesting. But let's talk a little bit about open source, because let's be real. Um, there's very few companies today that don't use some type of open source within their code development. Like it just it's it's not you use open source on almost everything. It's it's now part of uh, part of building anything talk a little bit about some of your um experiences with open source and in you know you've had you've you've led four different companies i think um and 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 most of them have all been you know kind of like online very innovative new companies you, you weren't you didn't really go into the legacy stuff in your career so you've always kind of been on the i don't want to say cloud native side but the hybrid side of cloud native and on prem and now we look at open source and open source and repositories shared repositories, global repositories, they create a whole new set of security challenges a lot of times. So how do you start addressing those? And what are some of the things you do in order to ensure that open source, it can be uh, secure for your organization? That's a, that's a great question, James. Uh, what I can tell you is, yes, I have been, uh, I have been in the, uh, the cloud SaaS space for a very long time. Uh, I, I was, uh, the companies I have been with have, have moved into the cloud, uh, have moved into uh, multi-tenant SaaS, uh, 
the use of multi-tenant SaaS services, the most uh, the use of multi-tenant uh, SaaS hosting um, with you know with your with your AWS and your GCP and your Azure um, uh, long before it it really started taking off. Um, and so from a very uh, from a very early uh, time in my career, I had to be thinking about this. Um, so it's interesting, right? You know, first, I, I would say that I, I think you have to um, if you just want to get down to like brass tacks and talk about um, thinking about open source. The first thing I think is that is important to understand is we should talk about like the dangers of open source initially and then that. From that, I can tell you then how I address that and what I now think of as reasonable, pragmatic approaches to securing open source. So first and foremost, I would say um, getting a better understanding of, of, of how open source operates today and what what. Um, what people might be afraid of, you know, open source itself comes with um, most people would think of it as being inherently insecure. That is, is not necessarily true, right? I, I think there's a lot of studies out there that, that may also contradict that and prove that it is actually even more secure because you have more people looking at it. You have more people, more eyes on it. Uh, fixes are coming out a lot quicker. Um, and um, therefore, you, you could argue that open source, using open source uh, that has a devoted uh, and active community could be even more secure than proprietary software um, that typically comes with a slow release cycle. Um, and, um, and of course, you know, a limited set of, of attention of, of eyes on it, but the dangers with open source though, that you have to pay attention to first and foremost is that few of the companies, uh, or a few open source, uh, stories actually have security documentation available, right? That's still a problem. That's still something we as a community need to do better at, right? It's more than just releasing a new update. Here's the release notes. And here's like the new feature we added. We have to be thinking about security, right? If we want, um, if we want to move forward in, um, in uh, securing the open source space, uh, we have to work together on this and providing that documentation, providing that security documentation, um, collaborating, collaborating with your other, uh, with your other users, your partners, that's where it starts. Um, another thing that you have to think about is, um, that, few open source um, projects actually provide any sort of security notification. So you do see this with proprietary software. You do see the commercial software that will provide, you know, your, your weekly, your monthly uh, release notes with security advisories, open source. You don't get a lot of that. Um, the other things I think that are important to understand is that open source can change quickly um, and insecure versions are not only not deprecated, but you know, there's, there's rarely, is there any sort of automated patching, right? Unless you've implemented some sort of automated patching, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, typically you could be out of date very quick. Um, and, and you've seen the consequences of this, right? Like I, I know this is old news now, but if you think back to the Equifax breach in, in, in what was, I believe 2017 Apache stress, they, uh, they they were breached uh, two months after that vulnerability was patched in in the version that they were using. 
So um, you've got to stay on top of patching. Uh, insecure versions are not often deprecated. Um, and then uh, I think another important thing to think about, which is uh, an interesting sort of an interesting topic in itself uh, is that as code evolves and as we continue to add more features and, and develop the code um, we don't often go back, right? We don't go back and re-review code, but, but think about that concept for a second, right? Just because something's not a problem today doesn't mean that it's not going to be a problem tomorrow, right? So you certainly, uh, I think there's merit in, um, put in, and I'm not saying it's easy, but I definitely think there's merit in thinking about reviewing older code among uh, along some 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 cadence some regular cadence whether you do that automated whether you do that you know whether you're you're uh, ensuring that your static and dynamic analysis scannings are running your fuzzing is, is going and all this other stuff um but i think that there's i, I think that's something that we often overlook yeah the, you, you bring up so many great points here and i almost want to kind of <laughs> bring us into um um Two things that I think are very critical. One, I agree with the patching, right? With uh, with uh, th- there's inherent risks and challenges with open source patching because sometimes because you don't control it because it's open source, a method by which you use an open source kind of repository or an open source code within your environment, a patch could completely disable it and it could hinder business operations, right? And oftentimes that's not something developers, when they're using it, think about. They're just trying to hit deadlines. They're just trying to get the build and get to the Q&A phase and turn it on. And unfortunately, that's kind of where the disconnect has always been, I feel like, between DevOps and security. Is DevOps is just in a rush. Like, let me get this stuff. Let me use all these different open source repositories. They're not really given an opportunity to think about security. They don't really think about security unless you or me go and spend time with them and build relationships to where security becomes top of mind. Cause that's not in their job description. Show me one DevOps job description that says has security in it. I've looked it up. It doesn't exist. It doesn't, it does not exist. That's, I mean, and that's a great point. And, and I know James, I know you and I have talked about this before and it's such an interesting topic to dive into. It's so true. Um, you have two things at play here, right? First is whoever gets the code out the fastest wins the game. That's the, that's, that's the game that we're playing. Businesses know this. Um, and that's why security has to act fast. That's why it has to be um, as automated as possible um, and, and that we become a business partner and not a roadblock. And then to your other point, yes, 100% developers, they're not given promotions. They're not given pay raises. They're not given their performance reviews. It rarely covers security, right? I mean, it's, it's the most secure developer isn't the one getting biggest pay raises and promotions. It's the ones, you know, completing the projects, attaining the goals, achieving the results, getting the features out faster and leading like the technical overview, the architecture, the design of that. They can lead the teams. And, and, and first and foremost, they're thinking about meeting the goals, meeting the objective, winning the game, right? Security often comes second, um, sometimes intentional, 
intentional meaning, oh, we've got an AppSec team. We've got a, we've got a, a maybe a dedicated DevSecOps team on, on the security side. It's cool. They're running their scans. We have a bug bounty program. It's all good. We'll, we'll catch it. Let's just get the, let's just get it out the door by Friday and then we'll go back and fix it later. Right. So sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it is unintentional. Sometimes developers lack uh, the training, the secure code training. Uh, sometimes they lack the tooling. Um, there's a lot of really great tools out there. Uh, there's, um, you know, some, um, some uh, local agent tools, such as like a, maybe like a SNCC who, who I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, that could sit on the developer's laptop and just scan in real time. Right. And just give them like immediate feedback before they're pushing it out to, to the master. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a great one. The other thing you brought up, which is the changes in open source and the lack of security documentation. And I feel like that's where there's the, I think that's where the disconnect between DevOps and security lies. If you were to look at the wire that connects the two, where that wire disconnects is the security documentation piece. The, you, you know, security isn't, doesn't live in the world of DevOps. Unless the CISO comes from the world of AppSec and DevOps, and then he understands this. But let's be honest, how many Jonathan Hunts are there out there? Very few. Very Most few. CISOs comes from a governance background. They come from a general security overview. They don't come, they, they didn't work, they didn't come from the ranks of it, right? Like Richard Rushing over at Motorola. That guy was a developer. I mean, he's just brilliant, right? Richard absolutely brilliant he understands all this stuff right i mean he's just like i consider him like a walking encyclopedia because he understands all of this he goes yeah you know when we used to develop and code before open source we used to have to you know no one asked us for security documentation now it slows down the process to do security documentation and in open source, there's no incentive. So how do we create an incentivized environment for open source library to actually have security documentation? So I do have a, I do have a really good answer for this. And, and what I, I want to start with saying this, um, I, want to, I want to address the CISOs, the heads of security on the, on, on the call here. Um, we're listening in. What First of all, strategy starts with us. We're the ones that develop the vision for the org. If we're only thinking about policy and we're only thinking about SOC audits and we're only thinking about, you know, customer requirements, you know, check those boxes, which is all very important. That's how you generate revenue. That's how you grow as a company. That's how you, you know, meet, meet the stockholder expectations. I, I did not arguing against that point at all. Uh, but we set the strategy, right? So if it's not important enough for us to be thinking about open source, uh, the securing open source components, securing uh, third-party dependencies, reviewing third-party risk, um, we could be the next, like we could be the next breach, right? Like we, it could be our names in the news next, right? So um, it's true, documentation and attention towards security lacks 
when it comes to open source. Um, one thing that, that I've done is I take this very seriously. Um, is, James, as you mentioned, I, I, am, I am not only understanding of governance and policy and, and just general infosec uh, practices, I'm also very deeply technical. I understand, uh, you know, um, it, application security development. I understand uh, security operations, red teaming, um, abuse tactics, um, and, and all of these things. So when it, what I think, first and foremost, what, what we have to do is um, – like GitLab is a good example. If you go to GitLab uh, and, you, and you and you look into how to secure GitLab, right? You'll see full write-ups on how to secure uh, this in your instance of GitLab. How to secure configuration changes, um, both within the product, outside the product, the server command line, right? Like how to how to control, um, you know, whether it's IP filtering or whether it's you know egress ingress. Uh, uh, ingress and egress traffic. Um, we're talking about network ports and, and, and configurations on the server itself. Um, so we have all that, right? I did the same thing at, at, at Envision. So first and foremost, like we have to, we have to set the example. Um, secondly, what can we do to help promote this within the community? I think we need to be doing a better job in pushing the importance of it. It doesn't happen because it's not important. Right. Are you going to spend your time on what customers are asking for? Or are you going to spend your time on what they're not asking for? If nobody's asking for it, if it's not a big deal yet, then no one's going to produce it. So what I've done internally uh, at GitLab is we have um, we are we are ramping up and continuously improving our third party management program. And what that means is, is that we're doing, the, you know, what we're we're diving in. We created not only a threat modeling um, process, but we're also reviewing third party risk. And one, one component of that risk is whether or not security documentation exists, whether or not we can secure that uh, open source code, that snippet of code, that plugin or integration or API or whatever it is that we're working with. Um, we need to ensure that we can secure it before we can use it. Yeah. So that's a, that's another kind of big thing is, you know, the idea of, of driving that culturally within an organization. And, and I think some of us do a really good job and others are still kind of going through the um, initial challenges of that. Um, and I feel like that's a, um, um, that's a, um, that, that's significantly um, challenging in, in many cases. So let's talk a little bit about the transition from DevOps to DevSecOps. I feel like that's a, that's a really big topic. You, we see some conversations around this, some very good conversations, some conversations that I feel like are, aren't very productive, kind of the idea of almost a uh, uh, don't develop unless it's DevSecOps and, you know, that's not realistic for the business. So, so, um, so, so let's talk a little bit about how did you take DevOps cultures to DevSecOps cultures in your career? So I think you have to start um, with the mindset that, you know, we should be going into this as a partner, right? Like we want to enable the business to, to succeed. That should be the goal of any security organization, right? Um, I believe anyways. Um, so if we go into this with a partnership, 
it's a lot easier to achieve the end result. The end result being um, secure source code development, right? Um, so I've done a couple different things. Uh, first and foremost is uh, we've done um, counterparts to the development teams. Our AppSec team is not a reactive operations team. A lot of times I've seen AppSec teams are simply vulnerability management teams. Like that's what they do. I, I think that is um, a, uh, in, in part, if I offend anybody, I, I believe that is a colossal waste of talent and time. Um, so I believe they can do a lot more. Our application security engineers uh, can code uh, they, they are, they, many of them were previous developers. I think that they have a lot more expertise and talent to give than to simply manage bug bounty programs and the results of, of your latest, you know, necessary, you know, Nexpo scan. Right. So, um, what, what I think, you know, again, so creating this, this counterpart has been a huge help. So what happens is our AppSec engineers, they go to the developer standups, they go to team meetings, they go to the standups, they're part, they're, they're partners in projects and goals. They help review the code. They help teach how to review the code. They help teach how to do this efficiently. They help, you know, create automation in that process. They help, you know, optimize the developer's time because again, the developer's goal is to create that product, that feature, fix that bug, whatever it is, right? Um, but we can do it securely and we can do it together, right? So becoming a partner with the development org, I think, is is where it starts. Um, not to throw this term around too much, a lot of people talk about shifting left. I think that's, that's where it's at, right? Are we just going to scan the code once it's in production and then try to, like, prioritize fixes? Uh, or are we going to try to fix it before it goes into production? I think that's the right approach, right? First and foremost, it dramatically reduces risk. It reduces your chance of being compromised. And secondly, it takes a fraction of the time, right? I would much rather fix something, um, you know, in the 30 minutes after I find it in QA than it takes to push it out to production, find it 30 days later, try to open up a ticket or an issue, try to get this prioritized with the development team who's now working on the next feature uh, and try to like get that worked in and then try to talk about severities and SLAs and KPIs. And like, it's, it's, it's a mess, right? Like you don't want to right. go down that road. So let's do it earlier. Um, and then secondly, is not only, not only doing what we can do as a security organization by partnering with the apps or by partnering with the, uh, the, the development orgs or the teams, but it's also helping promote this within the business, right? If we can help executives and CTOs uh, understand uh, the reduction in risk, the cost savings, the, ex the user experience, the protection of the company, if we can help promote that sort of atmosphere and get buy-in from the executive, from the C-suite, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you uh, it's going to improve your odds of becoming significantly more successful. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's a there's almost a misunderstanding when it comes to DevSecOps, right? And kind of the idea of that transition. It's it's got to be part of a greater organization or cultural shift. That's right, right. And if That's it's right. not part of a cultural shift within the organization, it's going to be very difficult to turn DevOps into DevSecOps. One thing I always admired about you, I remember when we did our first show ever a few years, I think it was like, what, a year and a half ago? I think so. Um, That's right. It, you know, uh, uh, on 
you know, we talked a little bit about the idea of how do you really transition and build a security culture? And you really touched upon that significantly talking about how you helped, um, you kind of worked across different business units within the organization at the time. And you were at Envision uh, before you moved over to GitLab, before they kind of plucked you away and brought you. (laughs) Um, But, but you were talking a lot about how you've kind of built that culture in a SaaS environment, going to a company like GitLab, you know, that that's all they do is DevOps, right? That's pretty much all they do is DevOps was the security culture already there for you? So hang on. Now, before you answer that, <laughs> I'm to give people a CPE. I know I got people got to wait until the for you to answer that question. So it's time for everyone to earn a CPE on today's episode. Thanks to our friends over at Checkpoint. The keyword for today's CPE is prevention. So again, Prevention, P-R-E-V-E-N-T-I-O-N. Prevention is the keyword. Thanks to our friends over at Checkpoint for giving you one CPE for just listening to this awesome podcast. So now, Jonathan, your answer. Awesome. I, as you mentioned, I am so passionate. I am so passionate about about um, getting the business buy-in, getting the executive support. I do not believe you can do this on your own. I have tried. I have failed. I have tried again. I have failed. I have gone to another vertical and tried again, and I have failed. You cannot do this on your own. You can't get product prioritization, engineering prioritization, IT prioritization if they simply don't buy in, if they don't believe it is important to them, the customer, the company, uh, if you can't explain why it's important, if you can't show why it's important um, in, in talking their talk, right? At the executive level, maybe it's cost savings, impact to the business, impact to, you know, the share, you know, stock price, whatever. Like if you can't put it in their terms, uh, you're you're probably not going to get that buy-in, right? Or at least it's not going to be at the at the priority level that you need to be successful. Um, so building it. So talking about the, the, the culture of de- DevOps and, and DevSecOps talking about a security culture, I think is really critical, right? So, um, so, so l- let me rephrase my question. Cause I think I kind of threw you off a second. <laughs> Just um, for a second. <laughs> so th- the challenge of building a security culture is it's a really long-term investment, but it requires almost immediate attention. So kind of coming into GitLab where everything is DevOps and DevSecOps, what was, what was the culture? What was the security culture? Like how did that excel kind of your vision for the security team over there? Yes. Uh, so coming into, into GitLab, it, it's, it was interesting. Uh, what I can tell you is I am uh, very, uh, very excited about making the move to GitLab. I, I've had a wonderful, wonderful experience here. Um, the company itself prides itself on transparency, right? And, and, and even more so than, uh, than typical companies. So if you go to uh, GitLab and you, you can see that our, our company handbook is on the web, uh, a lot of what we do, we do transparently. We've held company meetings live streamed to YouTube. Um, we publish the results 
results of, of even like our fishing internal fishing campaigns. We publish the results of our internal red team tests, right? Now we're very protective of the detail of the information, right? So we're not going to tell you how to breach GitLab, how to compromise GitLab, right? Which by the way, you can't because we're perfectly secure, but um, uh, no kidding. But uh, so, um, <laughs> so it, so in, in one hand, it does, it, it is challenging, right? It is difficult to, to think about security strategy and how do we do that transparently, right? Because that is almost counterintuitive to what most people think. If most people don't think of security by obscurity, at a minimum, they're thinking of security by simply not telling everyone what we do all the time, right? So, um, both those, both those may work to some degree. Uh, but for us, we're very transparent, very open. That said, we also, because of that, we do have the support that we need. We have the backing that we need from the executive team. And it's my job then to say, hey, this is what we need to focus on. This is what we need to work on next. And, and um, obviously very thankful to have the support, the backing to set the strategy and set the vision for the security program going forward. So I can shift resources around. I can shift objectives around. And I can always focus on what I think we need to do to protect the company, protect our customers, and protect the data. Yeah, there's, you know, that that's such a, it's really interesting because the more I do these podcasts, right, and, and I do so many of them now, it's it's all just a salad in my head at sometimes. I got to like sit down and organize my thoughts. But when you look at DevSecOps and, and specifically how now with more and more organizations essentially doing that, that move to the cloud, at rapid, rapid pace where they're having to rewrite and change some of their DevOps and, and, and essentially they've got to rewrite code or they have to use open source repositories in order to um, keep a product running because the traditional way it was built doesn't really function on the cloud. And I think that's a common misunderstanding, right? A lot of people now are looking at open source for specific business functions within a code as they transition to the cloud, simply because the way they did it with the on-prem solution doesn't really, like, it's not copy-paste, we're on the cloud. I think that's a common misconception for a lot of people who don't understand it, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think that... um I think that open source can be used in a number of different ways, right? I mean, I, I think it, it, I think it's I think it's it, it, if if not um, accessible uh, and convenient to use, but I think it also um, helps promote acceleration into the cloud. I think it helps. I think it can help promote security in the cloud. I think it can help promote. Um, you know, uh, what's interesting though is um, we talked earlier about um, a little bit about. Uh, the amount of open source that companies are using and, and most companies are using it these days. I mean, depending on what you look at, you know, probably every company out there is using some form of open source, right? Whether you know it or not, right? And that's, that's one of the, that's another pitfall uh, about understanding how to secure open source is that companies don't have the visibility. They haven't done the discovery. They haven't done the inventory of the open source that they're using, the components that they're using or what's embedded in the applications that they use. Um, depending on the statistic you look up, anywhere from like 96 to 99% of software today has open source components built into it. So it's definitely easy to use. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's out there. Um, and uh, it's I think it's necessary at this point. I think it's necessary for businesses to to embrace 
open source. I, I don't think you can avoid it. Um, I think it's very difficult to avoid it. Um, I think you need to embrace it. And I need to th- I need, think you need to think about, oh, since we have it, since it's here, how can we now leverage it to our uh, advantage? Yeah, that's, um, I, I love that. So let's, let's kind of, we've got about three, four more minutes left on today's show. Time flies. Um, but as we look at kind of the overall market overview, like as we look at the overall ecosystem today, how do you see, how are you seeing DefSecOps being taken across the industry? Are you seeing a significant shift of a lot of organizations that have been very focused on DevSecOps or is it still kind of something that's, that's still not as important as it should be? I, I think, I think the honest answer is both. Uh, if you will. I think there is a shift. I think people are talking about it more. I think people are getting excited about it. I think people are doing it in different ways. I think a lot of, um, I, I think to some degree, there's still some variance in what DevSecOps means and how to apply it and how to do it right. Um, and and then I, I also think that people like the idea more than they like actually doing it. So that was, that's what I mean by both. I think it needs to be more important. I think it needs to continue to accelerate adoption within organizations, right? Like we need to be thinking about cloud security. We need to be thinking about software security earlier than we are. We need to be thinking about open source security um, a lot better than we do. And, and maybe even with recent events, as you know, uh, from the last several months here, um, hopefully we will continue to shift in that direction to be thinking about, you know, dependencies and third party risk management and uh, inventorying open source software on keeping it up to date and paying close attention to, um, you know, um, you know, how do we detect vulnerabilities within this code um, sooner? Hopefully that starts to pick up hopefully that starts to accelerate i'm certainly accelerating that um but it does come with a cost right we always think about you know james you and i talked about once before like it always takes something big to happen before you know before organizations respond right that is very true and i wish we could get ahead of that but i also empathize and understand why it doesn't because now that we shift focus to this what's what are we going to give up there's not unlimited time time's a commodity resources are a commodity money's a commodity right like it's limited like we can't do it all all the time right that doesn't scale. So if we shift focus to this, then something else is going to get less focus. And then that's going to be the next thing that we and the security community are going to throw up our arms about. And why don't we pay more attention to this? Anyways, what do you, what do you think about that? Like that is an interesting philosophy, right? Yeah. Unfortunately you're right about that is it takes a little bit more time for, um, it takes something big to happen for for organizations to transition. I think part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, security has been traditionally underfunded. And so you can't, you, you know, you're trying to spread your money where you think you're going to be most effective until something, you know, like most recently solar winds takes place. And now you're rethinking about it all. Right. And you're trying to reshift and the board calls you and they go, what else do you need? And you're like, well, the actual money I've been asking for would be nice. Right. Um, I think, I think that's part of the challenge of it all is, you know, 
I had a post on LinkedIn um, a, th- a few weeks ago, and I said, outside of the role of a CEO, the role of the CISO is the most diverse and challenging role within the organization because it requires you to have a lot of knowledge about a lot of different moving business parts that very few roles would right? Most roles are siloed. You have your department, you're in marketing. All you care about is, you know, your marketing spend and your ROI on what you're spending money on. Do you care about the product? Yeah, but you get kind of a few keywords from your product team. You see what your competitors are doing and you move on. You're not really worried about security. You're not really worried about IT. You're not, you're not worried about any of that. Um, and so, and that's just one example. And that's, and that's going to continue to grow. I think that, that that's the challenge today. And that's something we need to solve pretty quickly. Yeah. If, if, uh, if I can give like one final piece of advice, I think what is going to help security organizations succeed in being a better business partner and collaborator with the rest of the organization, you talk about like CISOs needing to be, uh, um, uh, having the visibility and being very diverse in business practices with product and engineering and IT and sales and legal and all these things. What um, one thing that I've learned to be incredibly effective and, and, and successful is this counterpart thing I was talking about. Right. So I talked about the app site counterparts. I do the same with other parts of the organization. I have counterparts with the infrastructure org. I have counterparts with the IT org. And what these counterparts do is they, they work under report to security, uh-huh. but even like when they're hired and even when they're onboarded, we, we don't hire, we don't necessarily have to go out and hire security analysts or security engineers. I go and hire developers and I put them on the AppSec team. I go and right. hire, you know, SREs and I put them on the InfraSec team. Um, we have these counterparts. So what they do is they come in, they onboard with the teams, they onboard with those teams, with their counterpart team. They become an extension to that team more than they become a siloed security org over here. Hey, you know, here's my list for the week. Can you get, when can you get this done? They're partnered, they're in their, their Slack channels, they're on their team meetings, they're an extension to the team. They just focus on the security aspect of that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Jonathan, well, we're out of time, folks. Um, I want to say thank you to Jonathan Hunt, the CISO over at GitLab, uh, for joining me on this awesome episode of CISO Secrets uh, brought to you by our friends over at Checkpoint. Again, the uh, keyword for today's CPE is prevention. So that's, again, prevention. Thanks to our friends over at Checkpoint. You can see the link below and earn your CPE from listening to today's show, which is pretty cool. You get to listen to us babble on and earn a CPE. <laughs> we typically have to get a headache at an event and hear, get, hear a bunch of vendors uh, <laughs> pitch us pitch. to get our CPEs. Yeah, yes. pitch. Exactly. Uh, here you just get to listen to CISOs have a conversation. So that's awesome. Thanks uh, to Jonathan Hunt. Thanks to the team over at GitLab for making this happen as well. Thank you to our uh, folks over here at the CyberHub podcast for helping produce and make this podcast as well possible. This is CISO Secrets, folks, uh, brought to you by our friends over at Checkpoint. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for tuning in. And stay tuned for another awesome episode coming next week. Ciao. Thank Thank you for listening. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. 